Father, thank you. Today, we celebrate the truth that we have life because you've loved us and you've given your son. Lord, we pray that Jesus will be elevated in our midst today, in our hearts, in our eyes, in our minds. We pray your word will be planted deep in our hearts and will grow for your glory and your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I trust you're in 1 Peter 3. If not, just take another moment to keep going there. (laughs) Um, Our message today is about family. It's true grace, true family. And most of you know family revolves around marriage, right? You all know that family revolves around marriage. You don't have a, it starts with a marriage, right? And then everything else flows out of that. Um, Marriage is the foundation of family. Well, Jim was getting engaged to be married, so he asked his grandpa, what's the secret of his marriage? Everyone knew how great they got along and they never fought. And so grandpa says, it all started on our way home from the wedding when the horse stopped in the road. I gave him a little whip and I heard your grandma say, that's strike one. A minute later, it stopped again. That's strike two. The third time, she grabbed my shotgun and shot it in the head. I couldn't believe it. So I said, what in the world was that all about? That's strike one. And that is what I owe our marital success to. Kind of gives a new meaning to the phrase shotgun wedding. Um, Unfortunately for some people, that's not too far off from their idea of a successful marriage. It's like our insecurities can make people feel like there's got to be some kind of thread over their partner's head to keep the marriage uh, on track. And, and that's a real dynamic in a lot of marriages today. What's your idea of a successful marriage? Now, whether you're married or not, do you have a vision for what you want your marriage to look like? Uh, the, way, the way that you relate to each other, the way you treat each other, the things you share, things you do together, how you raise your kids, th- these are, are all part of your vision. Whenever I do premarital counseling, I always encourage them to have a clear vision for their marriage and to share it with each other and seek agreement about it before they get married so that they're on track together going into marriage. Uh, Here in our True Grace series, we have seen, if you've been with us in this journey, uh, the whole book of 1 Peter is about grace, by the way. The last, almost uh, second or third to last uh, verse of 1 Peter says, Uh, The reason I'm writing this is so that you will know that this, what I just wrote, this whole book, is the true grace. So that's what 1 Peter's about, and and it can be kind of challenging if you have a narrow vision of what grace is about, because there's a lot of of commands, there's a lot of stuff in 1 Peter, but it's really intended to teach us about the outworking of grace. And so we have been seeing how everything God is doing in the lives of believers happens by grace through faith. It doesn't happen by willpower. It happens by God's grace operating in your heart and your life. And and it's the same way with marriage and family. So as we're getting here now into chapter three and it moves into marriage and family, it's still about grace. Hebrews 13, 9 says, it is good for the heart to be established by grace. I love this. This is God's heart for you. God does not want your heart established in some kind of rigid framework 
that puts you in fear, uh, in insecurity, in bondage in any way. He want, Jesus said, uh, or, or actually just the Bible says, it is for freedom that Christ set you free. God's desire for you is freedom. And we sometimes worry, well, if you give people too much freedom, they're going to do all kinds of horrible things. But that's the beauty of grace is grace empowers you with God's heart and God's desires and God's presence, the Holy Spirit, so that, that, so that God can set you free. He can set you free and then you're on track with God because Jesus is living in you. And so God wants you free to live in the power of the presence of Jesus and to live with your heart conformed to his nature. The Bible says you are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. It's God is so intent that you will become like Jesus, that he predestined this to take place in your heart and in your life. And in reality, the Bible teaches that everything that's going on in your life is part of the process of you being conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. Sometimes we, it, we, uh, we experience very devastating things in our lives and it can be uh, really hard to process that and understand, well, God, why did this happen? And I, I've counseled with many people that are wrestling with that to this day. Things that happened years ago and they're still wrestling with it. And we know that this world is a world that is shrouded in sin. And so bad things are going to happen because of that reality. We don't want to blame God for the outworking of our own sins in the, world, the collective. I'm not saying it's your fault. I would never say it's your fault, okay? But there's, we live in a world that in a sense, if you see it from God's perspective, looking down on the entire world and the way it is, it's really a cesspool. It really is. We, we live in it and so we get used to it. It's like a frog in a pan where the water's slowly boiling and he doesn't even know he's getting roasted, you know? And that's the way we are. We're, we get, become acclimated to the depth of depravity that surrounds us and we don't notice it as much anymore. But uh, God totally notices it. <laughs> and, and so here we are. We're living in this world. And God is calling us to set our eyes on uh, heaven where Christ is seated because that's our destiny. That's where he's calling us. And he says, I'm, I'm conforming you to the image of Jesus in the midst of everything that's going on. And so the Bible says, you know, when bad things happen, what are we supposed to do? James Chapter one, when our faith is tested, what your faith is tested when things happen, you don't understand why. You're going, God, where were you in this? Your faith is being tested in those situations. It says, when your faith is tested, rejoice. Whoa, rejoice. No, man, I am bummed. I can't rejoice. I am bummed. I am really bummed. I'm bummed for years over this devastating thing that took place. No, why would you rejoice? Not because of what happened, but because God, no matter what takes place in your life, has a higher destiny for you. This is temporary, okay? That would never take away from the devastation that, and act like it's not important or it's not significant. But it's the world we live in. And it's because of the fallen nature, the sin of man, that we live in the situation that we all live in. But God has something better for you. God has something better for you. And so that's why we're rejoicing, because there's something better and God is preparing you for that. And so whatever takes place, the Holy Spirit is able to work in your heart and your life to do that conforming work, to bring you in line with your destiny. 
Everything that's taking place in your life, God is using it to bring you in line with your destiny. He has a higher call on your life than what you're going through right now. And he wants you to believe that and trust him in it and look forward with faith and with hope toward what's ahead for you in Jesus Christ. So God wants to establish your heart in grace. What's grace? It's the kindness and goodness of God given to you, not because you deserve it, because God, God is not relating to you on the basis of what you deserve and don't deserve. He loves you. So he's relating to you on the basis of love. We feel unworthy. I feel unworthy. I'm sure I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But if I did, nearly everyone in this room would raise their hand and say, yeah, I feel unworthy too. And those who don't raise their hand, you're deceived. <laughs> okay. And yet the beauty is that God says, I have made you worthy through my son. I've made you worthy through my son. So we feel that and God says, I want to I remove that feeling of unworthiness from you and I want to bring you into abundance. I want to bring you into freedom. I want to bring you into a beautiful destiny. I want to bring you into a place of hope. I want to bring you in a place where you are looking forward to every day when you get out of bed because I'm going to be there with you and we're going to keep moving forward toward what I've called you to. So, Here's going to be something you're going to hear me say several times this morning. This is true family, right? True grace, true family. We've been saying true grace, whatever, whatever the chapter is about, it's embedded in grace. We want you to be embedded in grace in your life. This is what we're, we're teaching you and training you and discipling you in is to have a mindset that I'm going to be embedded in grace. I'm not trying to perform for God. I'm not trying to measure up to God. I can't do it anyway. It's an exercise in futility if I try. I'm going to stop trying to do that. I'm going to start celebrating his love for me. And I'm going to start looking at the way I live as being empowered by his grace. Okay? So we want you embedded in grace. This is my, this is my desire for every single one of you, that your heart would be embedded in grace. It's good for the heart to be established by grace. Okay? So here's the statement. True family is about aligning your heart with the grace of Jesus so you can relate to each other with a submitted, gentle, quiet spirit. Let me say that again. True family, and what we're studying in this chapter, is about aligning your heart with the grace of Jesus so you can relate to each other with a submitted, gentle, quiet spirit. And so much of the, of the strife and difficulty that we have with one another, husbands and wives, and in the church with one another, is a lack of this grace. We haven't embraced this grace and allowed our heart to die to our own selfish desires and submit to the grace of God and let God's grace work these things out between us. Okay? So, so the first thing, you know, the little joke I said at the, at the front of this message, it was a joke, but it's also, there's an edge of seriousness to it, okay? Threats in our relationships are poisonous. They're poisonous. God does not maintain his relationship with you on a basis of threats. That's why it says in uh, Romans 8 that we have been set free from the law of sin and death. You see, there's a threat of death and hell over those who have not committed their heart and life to Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. 
But when you say yes to Jesus, the threat of death and hell is permanently removed from you. It is no longer hanging over your head. So God says, I've removed the threats from you. Because he says, I don't want to have a relationship with you on the basis of threats. I want to have a relationship with you that is, that is full of life. I wanna, he, God wants to have a life-giving relationship with you where you love to run to God because you don't get anything from God except life. This is how we want to be in our marriages and with each other where we, where we love being together because we're giving each other life. We are life-giving people. We're not relating on the basis of threats anymore because God isn't relating to me on the basis of threats. Okay, so we want to eliminate that mindset of that the way we establish and maintain relationships is through threats. A good marriage cannot be forced. A good marriage looks like grace. And grace looks like kindness, gentleness, mutual submission to each other. And if that sounds odd, and maybe you haven't heard that before about marriage, Keep listening. It's all established right here in God's Word. So we're going to read now in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter 3 verse 1 says, Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their lives. So it's talking about wives winning their husbands. I like to win. Does everybody like to win? I don't like to lose. I like to win. And so it's giving you a recipe for winning here. It's good. Okay? Uh, when they, well, well, this is wh- how you win. It's, it's when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Uh, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. I want, I want to stop right there, verse 3. Ladies, that is not saying you're not allowed to arrange your hair, wear gold, or put on fine apparel. That would be, like, really tough if, if that was actually what... God was requiring. It's not what he's saying. He says, don't let your, your, uh, don't let your adornment be merely. So yeah, so look, deck yourselves out any way you want to and have fun. But don't let, don't let your beauty stop there. That's what it's saying. Don't stop at the outward. Yeah, I, I, my wife, she uh, spends a lot of time looking beautiful. She does it for me. And I appreciate that. But she doesn't stop there. And the Lord doesn't want you to. So I've heard some genuine misapplications of that verse. And just God wants to encourage you. This is not not a prohibitive thing. This is an encouragement to go the extra mile beyond that. Okay? So it says in verse 4, Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God, For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. So we start the family discussion with women. And it's talking about the, it's really talking about the effects of grace on the family. And starting with the wife is just where the conversation starts. God's grace produces a lot of wonderful things in the human heart, but in marriage and in the heart of a believing wife, God's grace produces submission and a gentle, quiet spirit. Now you might say, what do you mean grace? This just flat out commands wives be submissive to your own husbands. But remember what we learned a couple of weeks ago. 
A command from God isn't a burden, it's an adventure. God wants to shift your perspective of what, it, what is really going on as a believer full of the Holy Spirit when God gives you a command. It's not a burden when he does that. It's, a, it's an adventure because everything God commands, he empowers in you by grace through faith. When God created the world, he said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. See, the, when God commands things, things happen, things change, things shift. When God speaks to someone who has faith and says, do this, and you hear that, and you believe, and you trust, something shifts because the power of God is released through his word. There's power in every word he speaks. When he says, be submissive, there, there's grace, there's power in the word that he's speaking to you. If you've been a Christian very long, you've probably heard someone preach about this command for wives to submit to their husbands, right? Anyone ever heard about this uh, submission teaching before? Don't, don't you, again, don't, don't raise your hands, but I'm, I trust that you all have, if you've been a Christian, you've been in churches. It's, it's very commonly taught. But what's interesting is that the call to have a submitted spirit isn't, isn't just for wives, it's actually for all believers. And it's part of the fruit of the spirit. Submission, gentleness, and quietness is kind of the focus in this passage. Um, and that's just what a spirit-filled believer looks like. It's not, it's not what a spirit-filled wife looks like. It's what all spirit-filled believers look like. In Ephesians 5, 17 through 21, which, by the way, is the passage right before the Ephesians section where it says the same thing that we're reading here. There's a section in Ephesians where it talks about wives and husbands saying basically the same thing here. It expands on it a little bit, gives a little bit more depth. But, but right before it is this passage about being filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, the role that we have as Christians in our marriage is empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's why in Ephesians, it put that right in front. In, in 1 Peter, it addresses it a slightly different way. It says this whole, thi- this whole book is about grace. And that's, that's basically the same idea. It's like, don't think that God's just commanding you to do a, a bunch of stuff and you've got to somehow offer this up to God. Well, here I am. I'm being obedient to your word. I'm doing everything you told me to do. No, he's saying, you need to look to me because I'm not calling for you to offer something up to me. He says, I'm offering to empower something in you. And what I want is a trusting heart that's submitted to me and believing that this is the right thing to do and expecting to be empowered by me when you enter into it by faith. So Ephesians 5, 17 through 21 talks about what happens when we're constantly filled with the Spirit. What's the result of that in our life when we're constantly filled with the Spirit? Well, it looks like this. Here, I'm going to give you four things that it says there right in a row. They're right out of the verse. Speaking to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So there's a, there's a singing to each other. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't often walk up to somebody and start singing the thing that I want to talk to them about. My wife does. She does it all the time. But I don't normally do that. That's that, that you know, I'm not out there greeting people and say, hi, I'm glad you're here today. You know, that seems kind of weird. Um, but it, this is, it, it's, it's talking about singing in psalms and hymns. So it's actually just... Something bubbling up because the Holy Spirit's in you. There's a joyfulness. There's a celebration of the life we have in God. There's a, because you're connecting with him in grace, it brings joy to your heart. 
You see, when we're connecting to him on some other basis, it doesn't bring joy. It brings fear, anxiety, insecurity. And we're not motivated to sing at all. And this is what he's giving you kind of the flavor of what it feels like to be filled with the Spirit. What does it feel like? Well, it feels like I, I have to, if I don't want to sing, I got to hold it down. You know what I'm saying? It's like, if there's something that wants to come out. I want to sing a song. So singing to each other. Then it says, second, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So, so two kinds of singing that bubble up when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Singing to each other, singing to the Lord. Doesn't that just sound happy, like a happy person? Being filled with the Spirit is, is a happy thing. It's a joyful thing. And then third, it says, giving thanks always for all things. Have you ever known a, a, like a super thankful person? You go, will you stop thanking me for everything? You're getting on my nerves. Well, that's what a spirit-filled person looks like. Just always thankful. Thanking you for, if you do anything, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Thanking God. God, thank you. I woke up this morning and the sun came up and I'm just happy to be alive. Thank you. You know, just for everything. Thanking him for everything. So gratefulness. It's a fruit of the spirit. Being filled with the spirit. And then fourth, and here's the interesting one. This is the fourth thing in that list. It says, submitting to each other in the fear of God. Submitting to each other in the fear of God. Being submitted is part of the package. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit for all believers. You know, I'm a pastor. I, I, because of my role in this church, I have authority in this church. But I'm also just another believer, just like everyone in this church. And so I have in my heart, by the Holy Spirit, an actual desire to have a level of submission to the rest of the people in this church, and we should all feel that toward one another, that none of us is better than any of the rest of us. And I need to hear what others are saying and be concerned about what they're saying. And you need to have the same perspective. And, and it's not something you have to drum up because when you are entering into this joyful, intimate relationship with God through the Holy Spirit, the fruit of that relationship is, among other things, an, an inherent submissiveness, an inherent willingness to put others ahead of yourself, an inherent willingness to hear what other people are saying and change your trajectory based on what they say. That's, a, that's what submissiveness looks like. It's like, you know, unsubmissive means, nope, I'm doing it no matter what you say. I'm not going to change my direction. Submissiveness is, you start talking to me, I go, you know what? You got a good point. I think I'll go this way. It's that willingness to hear, that willingness to change. Okay? That's what it's talking about. When we're in the flesh and doing things in our own power for our own reasons, submission is really hard to do. We worry about, you know, what's this crazy guy going to ask me to do next? And it's talking specifically about wives right, right in this section, okay? So that's what I'm, what's the crazy guy I'm married to going to ask me to do next? Um, but when we're in the spirit and doing things in God's power and trusting God for the outcome, then we don't worry anymore. Hey, if he's telling me to do the wrong things, I'm not talking about sin. You don't, you don't submit to sin. But I'm talking about if it's just like his arbitrary thing that he wants you to do, then that's between him and God, and he's going to have to work it out. That doesn't mean you don't share your concerns. You do. 
Um, but I'm just saying, when, you're, when you are connecting with God in your heart and you're trusting him, and, and you're, you have a yielded, submitted heart in general because the, the operating of the Holy Spirit in your life, then it's not a fearful thing. The presence of the Holy Spirit in your heart when you're submitted and being guided by him wipes out fear. It really does. The, the fear, the anxiety, the insecurity, his presence eliminates that. Have you ever wondered, you know, I, this, this might sound, sound odd, but I naturally, my natural personality is introspective and there's a lot of insecurity associated with that. How can I get up in front of you guys and share passionately, authoritatively from the word of God with boldness? The only way I can do that is because the Holy Spirit is in me. I give all the glory to God. It's his power. He, the Holy Spirit brings boldness. And you know what? One of the characteristics of boldness is the absence of fear. He casts out fear. I often tell you, uh, fear is the enemy of faith. Fear is the enemy of faith. You connect with the Holy Spirit. He gets rid of that stuff so that you can walk in faith, so you can live in faith. So the promise in this passage is you can influence your husband more through submission than any other way. You can influence your husband. There are other ways to influence, but the, the strongest influence you can have over your husband is through godly submission. Not just arbitrary submission, but godly submission. That means no sin, but, you know, as far as it's okay to go with, godly submission. It says in verse 1, you can win your husband without a word, even an unbelieving husband, by your chaste conduct. You know, I don't know any married woman who doesn't want to win her husband, doesn't want to influence her husband. It's it's an inherent desire in a woman's heart. And, and, and he also, also says in verse 4, you'll be beautiful to your husband. And every, every woman wants that. It says your submitted, gentle, quiet spirit is an incorruptible beauty. It's beautiful to your husband. It's very precious in the sight of God. And then it says in verse 6, you won't be afraid with any terror. God doesn't want your marriage full of anxiety. He doesn't want your marriage full of insecurity. He wants your marriage to be full of grace. So true family is about aligning your heart with the grace of Jesus so you can relate to each other with a submitted, gentle, quiet spirit. Verse 7 switches to the husband. It says, husbands likewise dwell with them. Who's them? Your wife. Dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So as we shift to the husband, I want to focus on that second word, likewise. Husbands likewise do these things in verse 7 that it talks about. So what does likewise mean? It means in the same way. It means the same as the other. Wives are commanded, have a submitted, gentle, quiet spirit. Then husbands are told, likewise. So that's pretty obvious. Husbands are also to have a submitted, gentle, quiet spirit. The same fruit of the spirit as the wife. Now it is never emphasized in the New Testament for husbands to submit to wives. In that specific way. 
It's talked about in more general terms as something, an obligation we all have in the Holy Spirit to, to other believers. Um, so here, in, instead of spelling it out to the husbands and, and saying, submit to your wife, it just says, likewise. Uh, that's because it's not foundation of the family for husbands to, to submit to wives. Whereas wives submitting to husbands is foundational to the family. However, that doesn't mean it's not important. It is important. Uh, one of my greatest regrets in my own marriage is the years that I spent at the start of our marriage lording it over my wife. I didn't even know I was doing it. I just grew up with that as my model. I, you know, I, I grew up in Texas. And, you know, strong, quiet man rules his house with an iron fist. That was my model. And um, I, I didn't see myself as bossy and controlling. I was, but I didn't see it that way. I just thought that's how it's supposed to work. It, it, I, I knew my wife was supposed to submit to me, and she is, but it never in a million years occurred to me that I was also supposed to submit to her. It really is mutual. Um, and that's changed radically. God has called me to lead my family, so that has never changed. But I now consider that Vanessa and I are mutually submitted. We submit one to another in the fear of God, like it says in Ephesians 5.21. And so what that looks like is listening and seeking to understand her heart and respecting her opinions because we're in this together and this is her life. You know, it's really taken time for me to, for, for that to really sink in what that means to her. This is her life. And, and I can be a, a real severe limiting factor for her whole life. And there's a possibility of, of our marriage becoming oppressive to her because of my unwillingness to give her the freedom that Christ bought for her when he died for her. See, we're co-heirs of the grace of eternal life. That's what it says here. It's calling us to recognize there's something very precious that God has done for her, that's the same thing he did for me, and I need to respect that. Ultimately, what it means is if I cannot persuade her that something is a good idea, then we don't do it because we're a team. So we work together to kind of consensus. And, and I feel if I really, really believe this is the right thing for us to do, and she's still not persuaded, then, then what I think of in that is that's a failure of leadership on my part. And I need to work on my ability to properly articulate to her what this means. I need to communicate better with her. And I need to be very transparent and sincere in how I communicate with her and respect her opinion in the process so that she can, so that she can move with me to where I believe we're supposed to go. So I'm still leading, but I'm not leading by command. I'm leading by persuasion and by influence, which I think is the most healthy way to lead. This is how I lead the church. I, I have authority in the church, but I don't exercise it arbitrarily. I, I have a team of elders, and we meet together, and we talk about where we're going as a church. And, um, and if my elders don't agree that what I'm wanting to do is a good idea, then I need to go pray <laughs> and think about how I'm explaining this. Maybe I don't even know why I want to do this and I need to get, I need to even get my own heart right. So that, and, and maybe in that process, I realized, you know what? I was wrong. And this is really part of God's 
a protection for our church and for our families. That, um, you know, we, can, we as leaders can be self-serving and not even realize we're doing it. We can be self-deceived and not realize we're doing it. And so many times, my wife has, has lovingly confronted me with some things that I wasn't honestly facing. And when I began to consider everything she was bringing up, it changed my perspective. This is what mutual submission looks like. It looks like I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to reconsider my position. Does this make sense? It says in verse 7, dwell with him with understanding, giving honor to the wife. Now, understanding means I ask questions and I listen and I hear what she says. You can't understand if you're not sincerely trying to hear. And then giving honor means don't ever be condescending to your wife. Maybe you, you hear her and you feel like you understand what she's saying, but on this particular matter, you don't think her opinion's worth a lot. You, she's got a dumb opinion on this. Okay, well, you're wrong. <laughs> Uh, and it doesn't really matter what the opinion is because she's your wife and she's your partner in life. And therefore, her opinion matters. Even if you don't appreciate her opinion, it matters because you're partners. And, and so saying that her opinion doesn't matter dishonors her. And this is calling you to honor her. And, and guess what? Because your wife and you are one flesh, the Bible says whatever you do to her, you do to yourself. So if you dishonor her, you dishonor yourself. And it says she's the weaker vessel. That doesn't mean she's less than you. It just means you can hurt her really easy. You're, you're, you got this tough veneer because you're a man. You're full of testosterone. You're used to going like this, you know, beating your head against the wall. So you're toughened up and she, she's not wired that way. God, see, God wired her to be the heart of your family. And you don't stab your heart with something sharp. That's dumb, you know. Your heart's not doesn't have a thick, heavy callus around it that, to protect it. And so it's got the, the, the toughness of your body around it. And so you, as the husband, are the toughness around your wife to protect her from stuff like that. You shouldn't be doing things that can hurt her. You realize she's weaker than me by design because she has a different role. And God didn't want her to be tough. He didn't want her to be tough. He wanted you to be tough. And then to use your toughness the right way, to protect, to serve, okay? So that she can be free to do what God created her to do and not have to fret and worry about when she's going to get stabbed. So don't hurt her, guys. If you do, it says it'll hinder your prayers. God really has a problem with bullies. If you bully your wife, your prayers are going nowhere. And that is a promise from God. Okay, um, and this whole thing about understanding and honor to your wife, what it's really talking about is putting yourself in her shoes. What's it like to be your wife? Guys, if you're married, just, just take some time and, and go off by yourself and think and pray. Maybe if you can't get, go there, ask God to help you go there. What's it like to be married to me? Ser seriously, I, I'm serious as a heart attack. Do that. It'll be good for you. And then when you're done and you think you got it all figured out, then go ask her. Hey, what's, tell me, what's it like to be married to me? You know, since I made this shift in my heart of understanding 
what it's really like to be mutually submitted in the, in the Lord. Now, I regularly ask Vanessa, I say, how am I doing, sweetie? Have I hurt you? Have I been harsh with you? Have I been inconsiderate? Have I not listened to you? Tell me. And I want to get a straight A on that report card every time. I want her to be full of joy in our marriage. And, and you know, if she, uh, here's the, when she is walking through our house singing, I know I'm doing good. When the singing stops, I'm like, oh man, something's, <laughs> really, really. And then I have to repent. I'm not saying I got this wired. That's why I check up with her. I need to know how I'm doing. You need to know how you're doing, guys. Now, you might be thinking this seems kind of hard to find the balance. How do I lead my family at the same time be submitted to my wife? She's supposed to be submitted to me. I can't figure this out, pastor. Well, the key is that this is a work of grace. What we all need to do in all our relationships is get in touch with God's grace and fully embrace God's grace. One of the key features of God's grace is that God's grace is gracious. God's grace is gracious. If you're full of God's grace, you're going to be gracious to your wife. You'll be kind. You'll be generous. You'll care. You'll listen. You won't turn a deaf ear to what she's saying. You'll work together with her instead of dismissing what she's talking about. True family is about aligning your heart with the grace of Jesus so you can relate to each other with a submitted, gentle, quiet spirit. Verse 8. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you are called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. See, if you don't embrace this gentle, caring submitted spirit, you're going to be doing evil. And he's saying, turn away from that. Turn to what's good. Turn to the blessing of the power of the Holy Spirit. Turn to the blessing of the grace of God. Uh, Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. You know, the thing is, is when you're walking in the spirit, you'll have a sense of God's presence. You'll have a sense of God's right here. He's looking. And not in a critical way, in an approving way. He's like, he's like sitting on my shoulder everywhere I go, smiling, going, yeah, let's do this together. That's what it means when it says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. He's right there with you. It's good. It's wonderful. It's a joyful thing. And his ears are open to their prayers. Have you ever prayed and felt like, why are my prayers just bouncing off the ceiling? This is it. A submitted, a gentle heart, full of the Holy Spirit. It says he's going to be listening. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And so this is now turning to the big family, the family of God. You might be thinking, this doesn't, you know, what you're talking about today doesn't apply to me. I'm not a husband. I'm not a wife. But if you surrendered your heart to Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you're part of God's family. And just like in natural families, you have your immediate family and your extended family here at Hill City Church. Uh, we're your immediate family for everyone that chooses to make this their home. And just like with husbands and wives, true family is about aligning your heart with the grace of Jesus so you can relate to each other with a submitted, gentle, quiet spirit. It says be of one mind. 
You cannot be of one mind with someone without being willing to listen and hear and honor their thoughts and ideas. That's submission one to another. Having compassion for each other, loving as brothers, being tenderhearted and courteous. Why would you do that? Well, because we're family. We're family. Well, wait a minute. They don't deserve it. I hear that all the time. They don't deserve it. You know, look at what they've done. Well, that's okay. It's not because they deserve it. Just like we don't relate to God because we deserve it. The same thing moves on through all our relationships. We receive that from God. God says, this is the power of all your relationships. It's my unconditional love and acceptance of you now needs to move out in how you connect with everyone else. On the same basis, unconditional this applies to husbands and wives too. It's, it's just included in everyone. So this is a lot of things that once it, you move it down into this entire family of God thing, then it's like it floats up to every relationship you have, including husbands and wives. Um, there is a connection. This is about family. There's a connection that overrides everything else. All our justifications for why they deserve what they're, what's coming to, get what's coming to them, right? Uh, they, well, they deserve that. They deserve to get pushback from me. Well, that, that falls by the, the wayside because the connection of family, their family. A lot of people have bad family experiences, dysfunctional families. But a, a family that is founded on God's grace, you're, you're never out. I know families where there are people in that family that are out. They're not even treated like they're family anymore. But in God's family, that doesn't happen. It doesn't work that way. You don't just get fed up with them and say you're out. You're, that's not allowed, because guess why they're in the family? Because Jesus said so. And so I don't get to overrule that. And the same thing with all our relationships. We don't get to say you're out. It started with Jesus. Jesus came and lived the life we couldn't live. The life it's talking about here in First Peter. Compassion, love, tenderheartedness, kindness. Jesus never did a selfish thing his whole life. And that's what God was looking for, and that's why he accepted his life. And then he went to the cross and died in our place. He did not return evil for evil and reviling for revival. Reviling, <laughs> Isaiah 53, 7 says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. You know, imagine what that felt like for him. To be rejected, humiliated, treated like a criminal by the people you love people he came to save. And so Jesus isn't asking us to do anything he didn't do first. And way more than you'll ever have to face, Jesus went all the way to death on the cross. And then he rose from the dead. Hallelujah. That's why we have life. And Jesus isn't asking you to do anything on your own or by your own power. He gives you grace. He gives you power through the Holy Spirit. He even lives in you. And Jesus himself is actually doing the stuff in you that God's commanding you to do. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, in your marriage, in your family relationships. It's no longer you living as a Christian. It's Christ living in you. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's our life now. True family is about aligning your heart with the grace of Jesus so you can relate to each other with a submitted, gentle, quiet spirit. And we're going to express that right now with the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a great time to do business with God. It reminds us that 
the problems we're wrestling with have already been solved by Jesus. So you don't have to figure out how to solve your problems. Sometimes we wrestle, how do I solve this problem? It's already been solved. And this right here is a picture of how it was solved. The bread represents the body of Jesus broken for us on the cross. The cup represents his blood that takes away our sin. Every time we take it, it reminds us Jesus loved us and laid down his life for it. It reminds us our whole life in Christ is a work of grace. And so as we take the bread and the cup, I want to encourage you to hold them together and we'll, we'll take together as a family. And whatever God is speaking to your heart about today, the sin problem has already been solved by his body and blood offered for you on the cross. If you have never said yes to Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, let this be the moment when you say yes right now. What, th this is an open table. We, the, you know, the invitation of Jesus is an open invitation. Whoever is hungry, whoever is thirsty, come and partake of living water, partake of the life of God, because Jesus died for everyone. And so when, when we take the Lord's Supper, which is a, a symbol of the very thing that Jesus did, it's the same basis. Whoever is hungry, thirsty for God, whoever is hungry, thirsty for Jesus, partake. And if you have never yet made a covenant of faith with Christ, then do it right now and just partake with us. We won't hold you back at all. We'll, we, we want an open invitation to everyone to come and partake of Christ. And, and let the Lord's Supper be the first thing you do with God as a brand new baby believer in Jesus. So um, as the music plays right now, we're going to pray. Just talk to God about the true family he's given you through Jesus. Everything we talked about today is who Jesus is. Jesus wants to live out his surrendered life in you. Submission in our marriages and families starts with surrender to Jesus. So give it all to Jesus right now in your heart. Submit to him. Let him fill you fresh with his spirit and receive from him the grace of a submitted, gentle, quiet spirit. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that Jesus has led the way with his submitted, gentle, quiet spirit. Thank you, Lord, that he lives in us to live that out. And we say yes to Jesus. We thank you for the, the death of Jesus on the cross that we're about to partake of in the Lord's table. And we pray grace. Lord, increase grace in our lives. We need grace, Lord. We will not walk in the futility of our own fleshly desires but walk in the beauty of the desires of the Holy Spirit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.